Uh, continuing the series, Ears to Hear, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Open up your Bibles, open up your devices, get ready to go straight to the Word and listen. We're going to walk through Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. This is a story. So in this story, I want to make sure you know the main idea and the outline, but I'm not going to read it all because if I read it all, I'm going to give away the punchline at the end. And then you're going to be thinking about the punchline. So I want us to try to dive in and experience the story as we walk through the text. So we're going to try to listen to this, even though we've all read it, we know more, as it would have been told as Jesus was doing this. So here's our main idea. Our main idea is forgiven to forgive. It's simple. It's memorable. Just jot it down. Forgiven to forgive. We'll dig deeper into that. We'll point back to it later. We'll talk about how hard it is. Just to be real, it's difficult to forgive people. It's easy maybe to forgive somebody in one moment and say, okay, I'm done with that, I forgive you. But then it's really difficult not to pick that back up the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year or the next time you see them and not forgive them in that ongoing relationship. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about how hard it is and Jesus recognizes how hard it is. That's why he gives us this parable. And for those of you that are guests with us, that parable is to cast alongside. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Today, the parable we look at really has only one meaning. That one meaning is the forgiveness. That's what we're gonna dig in on. And as we look at this, Jesus is kind of tossing this story alongside to say, all right, what's our motivation for forgiveness? How do we forgive? So here's gonna be our outline. It's one story. With one story, we're gonna look at the setting, and then we're gonna look at three different scenes. The first scene, we're going to see a king settling the accounts. The second scene shifts to fellow servants talking to one another. And then the third scene shifts to the master teaching us all a lesson. So let's look at the setting first as we start. So what's the setting of this? It's Matthew chapter 18. If you were to look before verse 21, back up to like verse 15, you'll see that it's talking about the church discipline section of scripture. So this is gonna be the context underlying the question that's gonna come forward. In this context, in verse 15, it says, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So now let's think about this in, in human eyes. So somebody says to me, or maybe they don't even say it to me, maybe they put it on social media, or maybe they say it to you and it gets back to me, hey, you know, He's ugly. Well, obviously they don't have any taste. <laughs> but now I'm mad at them, right? And so I go to them and say, hey, listen, listen, bro, I heard you call me ugly. What's your deal? Oh, man, I'm sorry. It was a bad day. All right, all right, I forgive you. The next week, dude says, he's ugly and he can't play basketball. All right, dude, you haven't seen my fade away. You can't stop my fade away. I don't know what your deal is, but you gotta stop this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just having a bad day. All right, whatever. The next week, dude's ugly. He can't play basketball. He doesn't know how to fight his way out of a wet paper bag. It's time to lay hands on without prayer. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Again and again and again. What are we thinking? 
listen, listen, Jesus, this makes no sense. He's not really sorry. This guy's a jerk. He keeps doing this over and over. Why am I supposed to forgive him all of these times if he's gonna keep doing this? This is not cool. I can't do this. So Peter asked a really good question because in our minds, we would be asking the same question. How many times am I supposed to forgive this dude that's obviously making false apologies that keeps doing something that's not cool, it's not right, I don't like it. So this is our setting. When Peter then in verse 21 comes up to him and says to him, Lord, how often will I Forgive the brother who sins against me. How often will my brother do something wrong against me and I forgive him? Now, Peter has an answer because this is what Peter does. Peter asks a question, but rather than stopping with the question and allowing Jesus to answer the question, Peter's like some of us and he wants to get the attaboy or the gold star or the Peter, you're the best student I've ever had in the history of the universe. And so Peter then opens up his mouth and inserts his foot. And he says, as many as seven times... Okay, now let's be honest, seven times, that's pretty good, right? That's pretty legit. Let let me give you some context for that seven times. The rabbinic teaching of the day would say to forgive three offenses, but not four. Amos 1.3 says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke punishment. You have it in other texts about the forgiveness of three times. Amos 1.6, you have it in 1.13, you have it in Amos 2.6, you have it in Job 33.29. And so Peter, understanding Jesus and how he teaches, he says, all right, it's three, it's three. I know it's three. I'm not gonna forgive on the four, but this is Jesus. He like doubles everything. So I wanna be the good student who gets the pat on the back. So I'm gonna say three times two is six plus one is seven. All right, Jesus, how many times should I forgive this dude? Seven times? (laughs) You've been in the class with that student, right? That student. You know exactly who I'm talking. Don't point to them or elbow them, but you know exactly who I'm talking about. Everybody else is looking around at Peter going, come on, come on, dude. You're trying to be teacher's pet. And what happens? Look at what the text says. Instead of seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, if you're reading from the ESV. If you're reading from some of the other versions, it's 70 times seven, which is 490, in case you're as bad at math as I am. I pulled up my calculator, I'm just kidding. Um, Wait a second, Jesus. Do I carry a notepad around and say, all right, you're on number 54, You don't have many left. You better stop. (laughs) Obviously, the answer to that is no. And so what Jesus is saying is you forgive them infinitely. Now, can we all say collectively, I can't do that? Let's, Let's just be real and say this is hard. This is not an easy saying. I'm supposed to forgive somebody who wrongs me 77 times. I, in my own willpower, do not have the ability to do that. It's only by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ I can even think about doing that, and I'm not even sure I can do 77 times with the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not sure I possess that ability. So Jesus, knowing our minds, knowing the understanding and the sinful nature that we have, he does what he does. Let me cast a story alongside this truth. 
Jesus is saying, forgive infinitely, and we are saying, I can't do it. And so Jesus is then saying, I'm gonna cast the story alongside. Bring this into our modern culture. How hard is this? You know what our culture says. Our culture says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on. Oh, so culture has a saying that some of you actually know, which says you don't get seven times, you don't get 77 times, you only get one time. If you do it once, I'm not ever trusting you again because the second time you mistreat me, shame on me. We live in cancel culture. You no longer exist. You're done. That's not what this passage is teaching. We lived in the era of ghosting. And yes, I did have to look that up on Google to find out what it actually means. (laughs) And if Google is right, then you just treat somebody as if they don't exist. If you treat them as if they don't exist, then you have a reason to do that and you're not forgiving them. So let me just say, if you don't think this is hard yet, this means cancel culture is not biblical. And this means ghosting is not biblical. And this means fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, is not biblical. Isn't that right, Dan? Thank you, I appreciate that. All right. This is hard. Let me prove to you it's hard, and it's been hard forever. King Louis Twelfth of France said this, if you think ghosting is bad, nothing smells so sweet as the dead body of your enemy. I don't know that I would put that on Twitter today, but I'm just saying we've all struggled with this. How many of you have struggled with this? All right, let me prove to you that I've struggled with this. I'll never forget it. Really important moment in my life. It's my third year in my MDiv program. Flag football championship. I'm playing middle linebacker. The quarterback on the other side snaps the ball. It's a tight game. He rolls out to his right to my left, so I immediately turn and begin tracking with the quarterback, watching those eyes. I see him looking at the receiver. The wide out on this side has dipped in, and he is turning to run a flag pattern out towards the corner of the end zone. I see where he's going. I know what it is. So I begin to run with everything I've got. In my mind, I hear the bionic man. Y'all don't know who that is, but it's okay. I hear those motions. I mean, I'm running so fast that dirt's flying up behind me. I'm digging. I see that quarterback launch that missile out of his hand like a scud missile taking off. I'm running. I'm doing everything I can to get there from middle linebacker. The corner jumps up. The receiver jumps up. The ball hits both of their hands. It flutters off of their hands and I'm tracking that ball and I dive and catch the ball and cuddle it like a newborn baby. <laughs> I hit the ground and bounce on my knees, a ground like a, like a bowling ball dropped before you're supposed to. You know what I'm talking about, right? Bounce out of bounds. Oh, I've got the ball. I look up expecting to hear the cheers of all the fans, three of them, as though the best catch in the history of football. It's the interception that seals the win. When I look up, I see this. If you don't know football, that means incomplete, right? My mouth drops open. Probably so so low that I've dislocated my jaw. And, And I realize this is no ordinary zebra. This is a blind zebra. (laughs) 
he, he left his glasses at home that day when he came to work. Like, this just makes no sense. So demonstrating the error of Christian perfectionism, I proceed to show him the divot my knee made in the ground before I went out of bounds and the vice grip on the football. I still have possession. Change your call, you're wrong. This is crazy. Very next play. They throw a touchdown on that side of the field in the end zone and we lose in overtime. It's the only flag football game I lost in MDiv seminary career. <laughs> and to this day, it's that referee's fault. <laughs> now, here's my point. We won three championships, we lost one. I can't remember a single play in the three championships right now. I remember every second of that play where that referee blew that call. Because in my mind and in my nature, we are hardwired to remember those things that wronged us, at least in our mind. And even if my memory is not accurate, it demonstrates my point to you. Was that a big deal? I mean, let's put it in perspective. It's flag football. <laughs> Wasn't getting paid. There's no championship trophy. There was a little medal or something. I forget. I didn't, whatever. It's seminary. <laughs> how do you act? My wife's still embarrassed by the way I act. How do, you, how do you act like that? If you think dominating in the name of Jesus is bad, I've calmed down. I'm just saying, all right? That's competitive nature. It's there. It's there in spades, all right? So, so the Lord has done some sanctification process in me. I expect some applause after this audience is over with, so... It's seminary, seminary flag football, and I think I lost two nights sleep the next two nights because of the bad call. So here's what we understand as we walk into this parable. To err is human, but to forgive is divine. We don't forgive. So let's recognize, here's the issue. Let's look at the three scenes and what the text shows us. The first scene, therefore, therefore ties it back to everything we've just talked about. The kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, we've seen repeatedly. We talked about that in detail last time. Maybe compared to a king, so here's our first scene, a king settling accounts. There was a king who wished to settle the accounts with his servants. So the king and the servants is the relationship. When he began to settle them, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master, notice the transition from the king to the master, his master ordered him to be sold and that his wife and children and all he had would be sold and payment would be made. So the servant fell on his knees. You, you get this. You're going to be sold. You're done. The servant falls on his knees. He humbles himself. He implores him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity or compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. There's scene one. So let me walk you through some details to help understand the, the intricacies of what's here. 10,000 talents, it's important. How much is that? It's a monetary unit, it changes with time. And so we've gotta put it in some context. So this is not a perfect system, but this is a way to put this in context for you. A yearly salary, a low yearly salary, because I don't like doing big numbers with math, take $30,000 a year. A talent is 20 years wages. So if your salary were $30,000 a year, which is really low, one talent equals $600,000. Does 
So 10,000 would be $6 billion. That's a lot of money. So here's the other point with this though. Six billion is gonna give us a comparison, but that's not a number you need to remember forever. The real thing is talent is the largest monetary unit. And when you think about it, the 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek at that time. It's myrios from where we get myriad. So you think back to Revelation 5.11 where it says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Well, why does the text say that? Because 10,000 is the biggest number. So let's take the biggest number, multiply it by the other biggest number and add more to it. So like us, it would be saying to infinity and beyond. It's like for us saying a gazillion dollars. It's like for us saying whatever the national debt is now because none of us can even realize what it is. <laughs> Y'all know it's true, so do I. I mean, come on. We, they're like all of us owe like $80,000 if we pay it off. So it's, it's a number we can't fathom. It's not just six billion, it's huge. It's bigger than that. It's like, oh my goodness, you can't pay this off. So the servant's gonna be sold, not sold to pay it off, not the wife and kids. They're gonna get that much money for the wife and the kids and that's not gonna happen. It's just go to jail. You're never gonna pay this off. So the servant falls down on his knees. I have no other option. I'm, I'm through, I'm done. Oh, have pity on me. And then his mouth writes a check his body can't cash. If you just give me some time, I'll pay it all off. No, you won't. You can work the rest of your life and you're never gonna pay off a debt of $6 billion. You're never gonna pay off an infinite debt that's owed to the master or to the king. And then the king, it says, has mercy on him or compassion on him. This is used elsewhere in Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus in Matthew. And so Matthew 9, 36, 14, 14, 15, 32, and 20, 34, this word refers to Jesus's compassion on us. So you see what Jesus is setting up here. The master not only grants him more time, but the master forgives the debt. And at that point, if you were the debtor who owed an infinite amount and forgiveness was granted, you go, I can't believe this. This is incredible. I can't believe the grace and the mercy. And that's Jesus's point. First scene, the king, the master, infinite debt, pleading, he's forgiven. Humbling himself, he's forgiven. So then we move to a second scene. The second scene begins in verse 28. Verse 28, you move to same servants, similar servants, fellow servants. But when that same servant went out, leaves the presence of the master, remember this is a story, leaves the presence of the master, one of his fellow servants, so it's a different relationship, it's no longer king, it's no longer master and servant, it's now fellow servants, one servant with another servant, who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his other fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. There's your second scene. So let's walk through the second scene. It shifts from king or master and servant to equal playing fields. Same servant. He says that he owes him 100 denarii. So what's 100 denarii? A denarii was a fair day's wage. Take that 30,000 again, just to make it easy. If you work five days a week, 
then 100 denarii would be 20 weeks or four months wage at $15 an hour, that's $120 a day or $12,000. So again, the number's not important, but I want you to get in your mind a comparison. Six billion versus 12,000. 12,000, can you pay that off? Yeah. Hey, give me some time. I can pay off $12,000. I can take care of that debt. Six billion, infinite numbers, infinite amount, no possible way, mercy is granted, relationship is king or master to a servant, second scene, same servant, equal footing, equal ground, one owes another $12,000, and what happens? He seizes him. He doesn't just come to him calmly and rationally and say, hey, pay me what you owe. He seizes him. And then he says it, and then he doesn't remember the exact same words. Notice the exact same phrase. On his knees, have pity on me, have mercy on me, have compassion on me, give me some time, I'll pay you what I owe you. The exact same words that had been uttered to the king and mercy or grace was given and he says, no soup for you, you go to jail. He said, do not pass go, do not collect $200, you go directly to jail. He said, no. You see exactly what's happening here, right? The difference is fellow slave. The difference, he seized him. He physically harmed him. The difference is he didn't didn't show any mercy. And so there's scene number two. So now we move to scene number three. And scene number three, we look at it in verse 32. So then the master summoned him back. And he said to him, notice what he says here, you wicked servant, exclamation point. So he's not a wicked servant when he owes him an infinite amount, which had to be embezzled, which had to have some other things taking place here. He's a wicked servant because he didn't show mercy. And he says to him, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not then have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Before we read that lesson, He calls him a wicked servant. He says now, as the master of the king, you do whatever he wants, he says now all of your debt has to be paid. And then we come to the punchline of this entire story, of this entire parable that is cast alongside, this entire motivation for why we forgive 77 times or 490 times or infinitely. Verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's your motivation. Jesus says, hard to forgive people. They're mean. They're ruthless. I don't like them. Yeah. But God forgave you. So you have to forgive others. Jesus, you don't know what they did to me. It's not easy. But God forgave you so you have to forgive others. So it's when we recognize that mercy, it's when we recognize that grace is at the heart of the gospel, that forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel, and that we, as infinite sinners, have sinned against the Lord. So we we back up, we back up. What's the story about? The king is God the Father. The master is God the Father. We are the servant who owes an infinite amount of debt because we have sinned against a holy and righteous God that created us, that gave us life, that gave us breath. Our sin, though they are many, his mercy is more. 
We all, as the song we sang said, stood beneath the debt we could never afford. My sins against the God that created me put me in a hostile relationship with my creator. And when my creator calls me to account, there's only one thing that I can plead. Lord, I plead to the mercy of the cross. I plead to the blood of Jesus. There's nothing I can do that will ever pay off my debts. I have already sinned against you. I've already fallen short of the glory of God. I am deserving of hell and death forever. I have nothing, nothing I can offer you. And that's the first scene. And the second scene then is me going out with a fellow image bearer, a fellow servant of the most high king. And I say to that fellow servant, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not offering grace. I'm not extending mercy to you. You've done this to me three times, four times, seven times. You're done. Ghosting you. Canceling you. Not forgiving you. That's the second scene. And then Jesus with a punchline that hits all of us square in the gut says, unless you forgive from your heart, not just from your mouth, but from your heart, then you don't truly understand the gospel of forgiveness. And all of us say, ouch. Is it just a story? It's not. It's a biblical theology of forgiveness. I've got a slide for you here. We look at Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Remember the story of Joseph. His brothers mistreated him. Is he gonna forgive his brothers? He says in spiritual maturity, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God worked good things from your bad purposes. We think about the model prayer. Jesus teaches how to pray. Father, forgive us our debts. We pray that frequently as we also have forgiven our debtors. We don't like that part quite as much. Matthew chapter six, same chapter, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly father will also forgive you. There's our motivation. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Oh, wait a second, I don't like that. If I don't forgive this person that's wronged me, God's not gonna forgive me because I don't understand that forgiveness is central to the gospel. I've been forgiven this debt, but this is hard. But this hardness helps us realize exactly how much we've done against the heavenly father. So when we have something happen to us and it hurts and we don't like it and we don't want to forgive, we should think about the depths of our own sinfulness against the holy righteousness of God Almighty and it should cause us to realize, wait a second, I've done that and more, infinitely more to you, God, and yet you still offer me grace and mercy. That's the grace of the gospel. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's your motivation. Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's your motivation. James 2.13. Here's a warning. For judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, so here's some random thoughts. Random thoughts for you. When we fail to forgive others, we burn the very bridge over which we ourselves must travel. There's only one way for me to be reconciled to God, the creator, and that's through the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So when I look at others and say, I'm not forgiving you, I'm burning that bridge that I've got to walk across to be reconciled to God. 
That's one thought. Here's another. The difference between getting bitter and getting better is I. So I can get really bitter at that ref who cost me that championship. I don't remember his name. I'm not bitter about that. It's a fun story. But I can get really bitter about somebody that really hurts me. That's trivial. There are real hurts that aren't trivial. But if I let my life get bitter, if I let it eat at my core, who am I really hurting? So one key to forgiveness, not saying this is easy, not saying you can do it immediately, but one key to forgiveness is not to focus on what others have done to us, but to focus on what Christ has done for us. I don't like you, I can't forgive you, I don't wanna talk about forgiving you, but you know what? I've done far worse to Christ and he forgave me. So even though I don't want to, all right, I guess I'll forgive you. Some random thoughts. All right, I got a story for you. It was April 18th, 1942. There were nearly 80 flyers that participated in what was known as the Doolittle Raid. This was the United States' first air attack on, Je- on Japan. It was led by Colonel James Doolittle and his raiders. There were 16 planes, if you know the story. Most of them lacked enough fuel to get there and to get back. So they had to crash or ditch over China. Among those who bailed out was one man by the name of Jacob DeShazer. DeShazer was was captured. He was held in a prison camp. As he was held in the prison camp, he was in a uh, cramped Chinese prison cell. He was subjected to unbelievable cruelty. He was beaten. He was half starved. All of the things you think about that. He was put in solitary confinement. He watched three of his friends executed by a firing squad about six months into it. 14 months later, another friend died from starvation. He says, quoting here, my hatred for my enemy nearly drove me crazy. Think about that. The hatred nearly drove him crazy. Eventually, the emperor gave orders that said prisoners should be treated better. So in May 1944, a guard brought him a Bible and said you could have it for three weeks. He says, I began to read his pages, chapter after chapter, page after page, and on June the 8th, 1944, he gave his life to Jesus. He says, quote, Even though my body was suffering so terribly from physical beatings, I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. Still quoting here. I realized that these people didn't know anything about my Savior and that if Christ is not in a heart, it is natural to be cruel. That's why forgiveness is so anti-cultural. He says, quoting, I read in my Bible that while those who crucified Jesus had beaten him and spit upon him and nailed him to a cross... On the cross, he tenderly prayed for them in this moment of excruciating suffering. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's Jesus providing an example for us. Finally, freedom came. It was August 20, 1945. Parachutists dropped in on the prison grounds. They released him from their cells. They slowly regained their physical strength. DeShazar went to attend Bible college and in 1948, he decided... I'm gonna go back as a missionary to Japan. He began passing out a track. The title of his track was, I was a prisoner of Japan. His 30 years as a missionary, he started 16 churches, led countless to Christ. One of those people who read the track that he gave out was Masuo Fuchida. 
who is a former Japanese pilot who led one of the attacks on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Fuchida, reading of this forgiveness, then expressed faith in Christ, understanding that he had been forgiven, and then he got to the point where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know what they, not what they do. And he realized all of this, accepted Christ, and then he went on to write a book called From Pearl Harbor to Golgotha. Jacob Beshazzar, prisoner of war, saved by the grace of the gospel, only by the power of the Holy Spirit did you forgive them. He goes as a missionary. Many people come to Christ. He leads one of the Pearl Harbor bombers to Christ, who then writes another book, From Pearl Harbor to Golgotha. That's what the gospel can do. Is it easy? No. Is it easy to say I forgive and move on and never talk about it again? No. Can it be done? Yes. Can you today decide in your mind, whatever it is that comes to your mind, whatever it is that you've been wrong, today's the day where I'm gonna start putting that down. Today's the day where I'm gonna allow the power of the gospel to help me to let go of those things. Today's the day where I'm gonna stop allowing it to eat away at me, stop thinking about those things. Today's the day where I'm gonna move forward in a journey by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by what his word says towards forgiveness. Today's the day I let it go. Here's some application for you. First of all, you can take the journals that we have and you can write down the names that come to mind that you need to forgive. For some of us, it's trivial stuff. For some of us, it's not. And you can write those names down. Then you can take those names and you can compare what they have done to you to what you have done to God. Two columns. Here's the list of what they did to me. Here's the list of what I've done to God. By the way, if you're making your list of what you've done to God and you can only think of like two or three things, you need to think a little bit longer. You can compare the sides. Think about the fact of when you refuse to forgive others, who really gets hurt in that process? Yeah, I've, I've talked to somebody after years before and said, hey, you know what? I just need to let you know I finally let that go. I finally forgave you. And the other person would look at me and go, what are you talking about? They had no clue what had been haunting me for some amount of time because it hadn't haunted them at all. They didn't even know something happened. They were just living life. And yet it's been eating away at you or at me, not at them. So how can you begin to respond to personal injustice to, come, to become better, not bitter? I think about what God has done for me. I think about the mercy of how much I have sinned against him. Martin Luther said of this passage, quote, so too we feel in earnest when our sins are revealed in the heart, when the record of our doubts is held before us. Then we exclaimed, I'm the most miserable man. There is none as unfortunate as I on the earth. Such knowledge makes me a real humble man. It works contrition on my heart so that one can come to the forgiveness of sins. When I recognize how much I've sinned against my creator, when I make that list, when I begin to get tired of all the things I'm listing down, when I get to those sins that I really struggle with and I know I do this over and over and over again and even though God's forgiven me, even though I'm sanctified, I still have the flesh, I still continue to add up the sins that God has forgiven on the cross in his grace and in his mercy. I realize that I'm the one that's the horrible person. I'm the one that's the wicked servant. I'm the one that needs the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness all the more and somebody may have wronged me but that doesn't even compare in a, in a monumental way. It doesn't compare in an infinite way. It doesn't compare in the minutia to what I've done against God Almighty. 
So what do we do? We recognize that we're forgiven to forgive. And we start walking down that road. Jesus, help me today to forgive from my heart. I'm laying it down. Tomorrow, Jesus, don't let me pick that back up. Jesus, don't let me pick that back up. Something bad happens, Jesus, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go back there. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna remember that. Lord, don't help me pick up that. Help me to forgive because I've been forgiven by God. That's how and that's why we're to forgive 70 times seven. Dear Lord, this is hard and we're not good at it. And so Lord, today we pray that you would just help us to grow a little more in our sanctification and in our maturity as we seek to be more like Jesus. Today, Lord, would you help us to, to forgive those that we need to forgive? Would you help us maybe to call them or write them? Or Lord, if we can't talk to them, would you help us to type out an email or a letter that maybe we never send? But Lord, would you just help us to begin taking the right steps to forgive to obey what your word says to us that we must forgive from our heart? Lord, would you help us to sit under the authority of your word to recognize that you know what's best for us, you know what's good for us? Lord, today would your spirit do miraculous work in our hearts so that we could forgive those? Lord, would you help us to be more like you so that we can glorify you more? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.